Welcome to Unonymous, the social revolution redefining normal, where you are allowed to be a human. Because we believe that through open conversation and education, understanding will open the doors to acceptance. Because truth without fear is the opposite of fear without truth. So the other day, uh, Mike and I were talking and he brought up a really good point about fracking, right? The, the oil methodology of fracking and how that relates to our brains. So if you look at that, uh, the bedrock of our psyche is normally a solid rock, right? It's deeply, deeply rooted between the complex layers of our brain, the complex layers of our personality. Um, but what happens when the pressure of these multiple layers overwhelms that bedrock? The answer is that our psyche gets fracked, right? And that's what depression is. That's what a lot of these disorders are. Our brain being fracked uh, with the subsequent leakage of our oil and our oil is our life and it seeps through all the different layers of our psyche and eventually pops out the, the top where it's visible to the naked eye where it creates a spill that damages both ourselves and our surrounding environment sounds a lot like mental health right uh, in geologic terms these layers of rock are called strata Right. And our strata can be made up of many things. Uh, if we look at our brain and experiences in the same fashion as geology, uh, we can picture these layers as like an age-based strata, right? With the oldest layers uh, being at the bottom, you know, and every year we're adding more and more layers to the top, right? Um, but if we shift this thought and relate it to a psychological strata, right? This is our personality, which is shaped by our experiences. But instead of looking at this like in a chronological fashion, think of this as a layer density, right? The deeper our psychologic layer, the, the denser and stronger and more critical that that layer is to supporting the, the higher structures. Uh, and this base layer is what we're discussing in the terms of depression and mental health, right? So Webster, as, as I always like, because I'm a definition nerd, uh, the Webster clinical definition for depression is a mood disorder marked especially by sadness, inactivity, difficulty in thinking and concentration, a significant increase or decrease in appetite and time spent sleeping, feelings of dejection and hopelessness, and sometimes suicidal tendencies. Well, there's another aspect of the definition regarding a physical description instead right which is a place or part that is lower than the surrounding area a depressed place or part a hollow so if you look at this as the first definition being uh, a symptom of mental health well the second definition really is a cause of mental health right depression as a word is derived from the word press which is also the root of the word pressure, right? And granted, they're both uh, chemical and situational aspects of depression, but if we look to the root word and cause, it's essentially overwhelming pressure, which creates a hollow. Uh, it's the emptiness that occurs when we break. In fracking, um, which back to the example that Mike brought up, is uh, in fracking, a fluid is pumped down through these multiple strata, under high pressure until what's called the fracture gradient is greater than that of the surrounding material and it overwhelms that surrounding material and creates these cracks. And at that point, um, the material cracks, the cascading penetration of that uh, pressurized fluid starts to spread out, make more and more cracks, etc. If constant pressure is maintained, you know, that fluid continues to penetrate the rock until it gets all the way to like the distal end of where that fluid can actually flow. Right. So these cracks fracture this surrounding strata to a point that the desired fluid can be extracted. And in fracking, of course, that fluid is typically a petroleum product. But if we relate that to our psyche, that fluid is essentially our sanity, right? Our life balance and continued pressure uh, breaks down our psychological strata and causes leakage into the surrounding psychological layers internally and eventually it bubbles to the surface causing secondary damage externally, right? So the lowest of these psychologic layers is the bedrock of ourselves. It's the deepest, it's the densest part of our, of our character and our personality. This is the core and the root of our self-worth, right? This layer is the layer that holds the preponderance of our psychological structure. And if it's strong, we survive. 
but if we fracture, then we're at risk for leakage or, in some cases, a worst-case collapse. So as Mike and I start jamming, uh, Mike, I just want to say thanks for the, the idea on fracking. And as we get into layers and strata um, and how that rolls into our everyday life, uh, I just wanted to bring up an example from, from my life, just kind of kick it off a little bit. Uh, if you're like me, um, which we're kind of the same, right? You know that having an underlying chemical imbalance and being subjected to this type of pressure is a great recipe for disaster, right? Uh, because I already have weakened layers in, in some stretch, right? I have these underlying flaws. Uh, but one of the things I was thinking about was, you know, this fluid, this pressure of life that was injected into my strata um, hit a lot of my flaws. And then, of course, my thought is, I think uh, I'll pump some more fluid into it. Maybe this fluid called alcohol will help fix uh, these other flaws. And, of course, that, that went really well because um, it's completely self-defeating. But the thing I had to stop doing first is to stop pumping that additional fluid into me and start looking at... Uh, you know, give myself the, the ability to be sane long enough to start looking at where these cracks are, how deep they go, uh, what are the layers that got affected by it, um, you know, how do I end up shoring up those layers, and what order do I start looking at these things in myself and start pushing through. Uh, so it's an interesting concept, man. I really appreciate you bringing that up. Well, thanks, John. <clears throat> Definitely... Um... You know, the, the, the whole thing is like us bouncing a couple of drunks, uh, recovering drunks, bouncing ideas off each other. It's, it's really just, you know, that's one of the beauties of, of recovery is sharing experience and sharing more than anything is perception or ideas because it really just continues to feed that. And that's, that's just, you know, that's why we're here and we're here to get that out, you know. In my uh, my experience, geologically speaking, you know, the reality is is that at the at the base was the pressure cooker. It didn't start out as a pressure cooker. It started out with uh, trauma, trauma in multiple different layers, or not different layers, but uh, singularity. But as strata was built over it, it was a different um, high functioning dysfunctional uh, cope. Let's just call it that. And as I moved into adulthood, it would become masks, masks that I didn't realize I was even wearing. You know, the culmination of this would probably be the origin of fracking. Like, how did we know that fracking is a real thing? Well, it was a normal functioning event when what was at the bottom started to bubble up. And that's truly what happened to me at the at the very end um, was there was there was no more of this but was really important how how i got to like got that imagery in my mind when you and i were just doing a standard issue uh recovering drunk rap session <laughs> was that through a lot of effort from the professionals and effort from me um it was chiseling through these layers to get down to origin you know multiple origin and and that's the real truth of it uh, and how this came about is, is kind of how, how do we recover? And, and I can only speak for Mike's recovery because that's it. It's all I got. I, how I am constantly doing this because it's not a one and done. Sorry, folks. At least for me, it's not a one and done is, is understanding that working with a mental health care professional is about chiseling through these layers of false to get to truth because it's drilling through the symptoms to actually get to the problem. And it can take a long time. It can take a short time. It's all, you know, in, in my humble opinion, because of me, you know, looking at myself and realizing that the different drilling techniques or, or, or treatment modalities, whatever you want to call it, is contingent on my defense mechanism. So if that layer of strata is really hard, we're not going to get through it right away. It's going to take time to address it, see it as, okay, this is symptomatic. Let's go to the next layer. 
And every time it's it's gonna feel, or it did feel, and continues sometimes. I, like I said, recovering, not recovered, but it feels like I'm like I'm I'm stepping in a backwards position, but I'm not. Now I'm confronted, and that discomfort is totally okay and totally acceptable. And and that's how I kind of got that imagery in my mind. So you just said something about um, professionals, which is something that. I'm I'm a huge fan of. I mean, a lot of times in group and other things, right? So much of, at least for me, so much of substance, especially towards the end, you know, was self-medication, right? And so I removed the substance first, but then it's really digging into why did I why did I drink to that level? Like, what what is the strata? What's the underlying the underlying uh, reasons behind it? And I like what you said about drilling through each one of these. Um, Something I wrote down was, so in fracking, you've got a general foreman, right? The on-site foreman that's directing, you know, where to drill, how to drill, other things like that. Kind of like the boots on the ground thing, right? Um, And then you've got, you know, the geologist that's in the background. That's the scientist that's saying, hey, this is the type of rock and things. And if we look at that between like therapy, psychology, and psychiatry, like pharmacology, it's kind of that same type of thing, right? So... I see a therapist every two weeks, you know, a psychologist, because we're the ones working through, you know, where to drill, how to drill, how deep to drill, uh, things like that. But my strata had a lot of micro cracks in it, right? Which was, I needed the geologist uh, to kind of look at that, the psychiatrist to analyze that and say, these are the types of things that you need to help shore this up. To me, the important part of that is um, I need both, right? If I just had the general foreman directing where to drill, but I still had uh, weak rocks or weak strata that that are in there, I'm still going to crack, right? No matter how good that foreman is. Uh, The flip side is if if I just had a geologist, can you imagine a geologist scientist trying to run a drill head? (laughs) You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's the whole difference, right? So you got a psychiatrist that understands brain morphology that may or may not you know, no human interaction. Um, but you have a psychologist therapist that understands human interaction that has an understanding of brain chemistry, but isn't a doctor, right? In that fashion. And to me, it was a beautiful visualization that you brought up with that and just gave me a bunch of rabbit holes um, that are both, uh, for me, just as critically important because my sanity is my sobriety. My sobriety is due to my sanity, you know? I mean, they're one and the same, <laughs> at, <Yeah>. least, <laughs> at least at least from my perspective is that, you know, sobriety is what it's a mental health thing. Um, oh, absolutely. But, you know, driving more to the layers of strata, you know, like let's get to the heart of why we're even having this conversation. We're going to be talking about high functioning dysfunction and what it looks like. OK, so the layer of strata may appear that that mask may appear stable at the bitter end for me. It, it was because the dysfunction was starting to seep out. I couldn't hide it anymore. I was forgetting things. I wasn't sleeping. Um, the depression owned me. And I had no idea what was going on the whole time. I just was more truly concerned about people's perceptions of me. Because the mask is the lie. I am concerned only about what you see and not what's happening. So I'm not worried about how I function. I'm worried about what you see. And um, I I find a lot of danger in beating into people's heads. Perception is reality because that is not truth. Perception is perception and reality is reality. This is truth. That's why they're two different words. But we say these little things passe, not realizing the the messaging that's actually occurring on a subconscious level that we must put on an act and that was where i was at i have to put on an act i got to be strong i got to be all things all people at all times i i have to i cannot appear weak now the question i never asked myself until i got into rehab and then uh, a combat ptsd clinic and therapy was why is it that i perceive that as weakness Is a broken leg a weakness? No, it's an injury. So how is this any different? It is not. It's not a death sentence to admit these things. It is a life sentence, which means I get to live, truly live, 
And and that's really been the, the big change. But before I knew any of this, before I realized Santa Claus didn't exist, sorry listeners, um, I had to first be willing to accept that Santa Claus isn't real. You know, going into, you know, children. When children realize Santa Claus isn't real, their world turns upside down. And it, it is absolutely painful. It's like, no, oh my God, no. You know, like I remember. It's like um, the Tooth Fairy. Tooth Fairy's real, man. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not messing <laughs> <The> around. <tooth. laughs> um, but no, same thing with getting a diagnosis. And, and that's where I was at. No, I can't be that because if I'm that, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. Because I've listened all the horrible messaging that goes around with PTS, with depression, with anxiety disorders, with all these things, believing that I wear a label or I am that label. No, I have post-traumatic stress injuries. I have anxiety. I have depression. I am not these things. And until I am willing to accept that I have them, then I'm going to be them whether I want to be or not. It's, it's an unconscious thing. So now I realize Santa Claus isn't real. And I got to go through a mourning phase of realizing that maybe I'm not as good as I thought. But now we're going to get into something even funnier than that, that, that many doctors have made apparent to me. Mike, you have had this a long time. You're very high functioning, very high functioning. And, and that's kind of the thing. I was high functioning. I was high functioning with severe dysfunctions. And I didn't know how to see that because how could I? I didn't know. And it has a lot to do, in my opinion, and I'm not, this is, I blame is no way to recover. But it was about the company I kept, and I chose to keep that company for the simple fact that I don't want anybody telling me I'm not okay, because then I'm going to have to confront it. And that's on a subroutine. That's on a subconscious level. It's not even a conscious thing. I'm not even aware of it, like projection for some. Like when I projected, or even catch myself projecting now, that's me talking about me about somebody else. And... And I'm, that's why I'm really grateful for recovery because it's like, oh, wait, that's a defense mechanism. And, and it happens time to time when speaking this candidly about recovery, people are like, well, I'm not like that. It's like, well, <laughs> why is that your immediate response? And I'm only asking because I had to ask the same question to myself or somebody had to ask that of me. So listeners, I'm, I'm begging you, just hang on for the ride. You know, this is, uh, this is truth without fear. And... John and I have no issues at all about speaking the truth about ourselves. Yeah, I'm a weakling. No. <laughs> um, I think what you just brought up right there was the stages of change, right? Um, for the listeners out there, uh, the stages of change is a five-part model that was done by uh, Dr. D. Clementi uh, he, out of Baltimore. But there's five stages, right? You go through pre-contemplation, which is you don't know you have a problem, and then you figure out that you do. And so you go through contemplation, like, do I want to do something about it? And then you move on to preparation where you prepare to do something about it and get the things in order to do it. Then you move into action where you are doing something about it on a day-to-day basis. And then you go into maintenance, which is now you sustain that change uh, over a period of time until it becomes permanent. And it's kind of like a spiral staircase, right? Except you keep falling down a couple steps and you go back up and you keep falling down and you go back up, right? Until you get permanent into maintenance. But that's the thing, Mike, it, it was, you know, until I was confronted with, uh, reality, you know, <laughs> actually, sorry, when I was confronted with the fact that I didn't live in reality, I guess it's probably a better way to say it that's when I had to make a decision. Do I want to accept that and move on and start changing? Or do I want to go back and bury that and try to try to think or try to bury the fact that I, I figured out or I got told that I have a problem or I figured out I have a problem. Um, and that kind of comes back to 
Um, geology, right? And I kind of wrote a note down when you were talking about, you know, you put these things in place so that nobody could see that you had a problem, right? If I think of that, uh, you know, Arches, yeah, Arches National Park, right? Utah, Utah, right? I don't know. I'm not that well read. <laughs> Whatever, dude. Um, so if you look at arches, right, I mean, you can walk over the top of an arch just fine, right? And it looks great if you're looking straight down at it from standing on top of it. But if you look at it from the side, it's a big open hole, right? Um, you could be looking straight down on the top of a rock and there could be rock underneath it or there could be completely hollow underneath it. And a lot of times what it, what it needs is a different perspective, right? So if I'm looking straight down at this rock bridge, I can only see that there's a rock bridge there. I can't see that there's nothing underneath it. And then, but if somebody like yourself, uh, you know, people that, I hate the word intervention, but right, just be like, hey man, um, have you thought about <laughs> XYZ or, or a doctor or something else like that, right? And because they're looking at it from the side and they're like, hey man, uh, there's nothing there underneath your rock bridge. And uh, just saying, you might want to shore that up a little bit, right? Um, the other thing I really like, you and I talked about this the other day was the, uh, you know, just because I got diagnosed didn't mean like all of a sudden I have bipolar, <laughs> like, oh my God, it just happened. Um, no, it just is me. And somebody finally figured out how to throw a definition on it. But, um, anyways, man. I like if it bleeds, we could kill it. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, but I like what you said about the the layers over the top, right? Because it's something I was so good at. Uh, and this is what's what's crazy. Um, you can put a lot of these strong layers over the top of emptiness and survive for a very long period of time, right? And be highly functional over the top of a cesspit of your internal, um, which is kind of you know, what we're getting to on the higher functioning dysfunction is I put these layers in place where I was like, I'm fine. I don't have a problem. My mental state is fine or whatever, but that's because I had these other layers. And then once those layers start getting eroded, there's nothing under it. Right. And that's when the bottom drops out. That's what I really liked about kind of what you said. But if you don't mind, can I ask you a question about the uh, real versus true? thing um do you want to segue on that for a little bit perception being a fact in the eye of the beholder but that perception is not necessarily a fact right so i perceive something to be real and i can acknowledge that it's real you could acknowledge that i believe it's real but it may not be true right <clears throat> so again mike can only speak for mike and um I had to learn a mantra that I, I really uh, cling to an awful lot. How I feel may not be real. Hmm. So, you know, the, the, the important thing to work on for me is my perceptions. And when those perceptions are challenged, if my response is defensiveness all the time, then it really stands to reason how fragile I am. And I'd love to tell you how strong I am, but I don't think I'm very strong. I think I'm still very fragile in, in a lot of respects. And, and you know what? I can admit it. But being aware of that fragility is, is something very important to me um, because, you know, I got to go back to Santa Claus is in real, which means that that layer strata is Mike and it's not real. It's not real at all. There are a couple of great books um, that come to mind. One um, that I read recently is The Mask of Masculinity. And that man really broke it a, a lot of it down to understanding what masks I've been wearing in my life and why. You know, again, it goes into subroutine. But perception is, is uh, not always a good thing because it's lenses, it's experiences, it's different uh, layers and stages of cognition. There's so many different things involved with it, uh, emotional quotient being one of them. And what I love most about recovery and psychology and mental health is that, I, I mean, oh God, with, with the risk of 
uh, arguments getting thrown in this direction uh, from outside the net, <laughs> which is fine. IQ is fixed, but EQ is not. EQ is not fixed, and EQ is adjustable and completely dependent on the egoic condition of the patient. So in, in this case, we're going to talk about Mike's ego. Um, it's horrible. It's not my friend. And I try to only call on it um, if I'm getting mugged. So, uh, <laughs> but, but no, Mike's ego was ruling his life. And the thing about the ego that I read from Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now, and it's probably the best way I've heard it described, is the fear-fed machine. So what mask does fear wear? Control. It doesn't just wear control. It, it needs control. It has to have control because the bottom line up front is that it's, it's afraid. And the only way to not feel afraid is to feel some semblance of control. And that's what I did. I hid behind my position. I hid behind my uniform. Um, I hid behind my expertise. I hid behind so many different things. And those were my um, ego supply because I don't have to confront self. Again, going back to, I didn't know how to, because I didn't even think for a minute there was something wrong with me because of the insidious nature of mental health issues is that sometimes the insidious is, it means present before it's apparent, which means I've had, going back to what I said, I've had these things for a long time and I've not dealt with them. And because I don't deal with them and I'm packing layers and layers of, of, uh, bull fecal matter on top of it. I don't want to say, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm packing these layers on. So there's a lot of pressure coming. It, it's coming whether I I'm seeing it or not seeing it. But when other people start to see it, that's when I go into panic mode and defensiveness comes out. That's one. Two is now I got to add another layer of strata, another layer of BS on it. So what did I do? Longer work hours. I would come in earlier. I would leave later. I would take on more projects, whatever keeps me out of my mind. And when I didn't do that, I'm drinking. I'm, I'm drinking, I'm escaping. And, and again, it did not start out this way. It did not start out this way. But I was locking myself in my house. I was having panic attacks all the time. And then I would um, set up rules for myself with drinking. Because that's what people that can handle alcohol do. They set up rules for themselves, you know? God, sorry. And we're, so, and we're so good at following them as soon as we start drinking. Right. I, I'm not going to drive. <laughs> right. I can't right? be an alcoholic because I don't drink and drive. <laughs> I don't drink every day, so I can't be an alcoholic, right? Wrong. I drank and I made sure it was Saturday. I'm sorry, Friday night, Saturday and possibly a little bit of Sunday, unless I was on leave. But it was it was full-blown. I mean, it was zero to pro. I went pro every time I drank. You know, never send a drunk do an alcoholic's job, I always say. But, but again, perception. I needed people to see a version of me that was a professional, responsible human being, which is why I set those rules in motion, because I was more worried about what people saw. Nobody knew about what was going on with me when I went home. Not even my roommate. And he could see everything, but he didn't really know what was going on. And, and he's one of my best friends in the whole world. And I love you, Tommy. And God knows you tried to reach out to me on a number of occasions. And, uh, and my ego, um, my childishness, and my fear really stopped that messaging. So No, that's interesting because... Something that I did, right? Because one of the things with with bipolar mood disorder is the um, the waves, the up and down, right? And you know, so I mean, when you're manic, it's awesome. You know, there's so many memes out there about you know mania. It's uh, my favorite one actually is because I'm an old Star Wars nerd. It's have you seen the one? Did I send you the one with Obi Wan Kenobi in it? Where it's it's like when you're manic and somebody asks you if you've seen God and of course the scene from the original Star Wars, of course I have. He's me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when he asks you, Obi-Wan Kenobi is anyways, it's totally lost on you. Um, but no, when it's manic, it's, it's awesome. 
And, you know, so one of the things that I figured out going through my career and, and I still do this now, which part of it's personality driven, I think part of it's chemically driven is I'm waiting for the next uh, excitement, right? So, you know, jobs and deployments and high risk things were, were that level of excitement. And then if I wasn't at that level, then I wanted to crawl into, crawl into a hole um, where I'd lock myself uh, in my hotel room or whatever and play video games or, you know, get smashed until the next time I can go do something that's really important or really uh, exciting. And it ended up, um, you know, looking back on a lot of a lot of what that cycle is, it was managing uh, mania and managing depression, or you should say mismanaging, right? But you're highly functional, right? I was highly functional at the same time, uh, given the environment that I was placed in. That environment was not conducive for me to be uh, a better person, but it definitely takes advantage of the mania. So for example, I'd be done, uh, you know, four o'clock in the morning, be done with an op, and then, you know, play video games until I got tired and then go to sleep, basically be completely shut off until the next time. And I think one of the things that that happened to me and then kept drinking uh, when I had that available was I would drink until it's the next time to be spot on, right? And I created this wave and I managed it chemically with this wave. And now behaviorally, even though being sober uh, for many years, I still sit here and I'm like, okay, what's next, right? <laughs> I still have that, okay, I've done this, this, and this, what's next? And being still is, is not something that I'm good at. Uh, you know, I did that thing with meditation. I think I said that once where... Uh, you know, my Japanese Buddhist psychologist is awesome. And he's like, let's meditate. And we got about, you know, five minutes into it. I'm like, okay, I meditated. Let's, let's move on now. Um, just because that cycle goes. But um, nobody saw that, right? And I had these layers of coping mechanisms that I put over that big empty hole. And once those layers were removed, uh I completely imploded, right? And I think that's one of the things uh, about depression and this high-functioning dysfunction is, yeah, I hate the term rock bottom, right? I mean, I understand the term rock bottom, right? And I understand um, where that comes from, but just because your bridge hasn't collapsed doesn't mean there's not a hole under it. And I think that was kind of your point talking about um, I didn't just get diagnosed. I've always been this way. Just, I, I finally noticed it, right? Well, the thing, <clears throat> you know, rock bottom, again, we got buzzwords, right? I know. But buzzwords do have origin. You know, even, I'm, I'm with you, you know, intervention. What what, is, what imagery does that carry in, in most of our minds? It carries uh, somebody's arms crossed, surrounded by a bunch of people, and they're telling them, you know, what they need to do. Um, but let's look at the word intervention, break it down intervene. So, you know, it's, it's not too dissimilar from having a translator, you know, earpiece at the UN, you know, somebody's speaking a different language, you know, especially when they're in addiction, you know, they're, they're operating on a different wavelength. God knows I was. Um, but I didn't have the luxury of, of, uh, you know, saying, no, I don't. Cause I was sitting in military rehab and I'm getting punched in the face every time one of my infantile defense mechanisms showed up and, and this is all figuratively, by the way, uh, people. <laughs> you weren't really being like, punched in the face. I was not being punched in the face. But what was happening is my ego is getting beaten down. Because rock bottom is nothing more than the awareness that my way cannot and will not work. Everybody has very different bottoms. Not, and, and we do. We just, we do. I've met people that have walked into uh, recovery and they've like realized before things even went even remotely sideways. They're like, I drink way too much and I want to make sure that I'm not addicted to alcohol or, you know, have the, the, the term alcoholic, you know, and then my hat's off to them. I'm like, my God, I wish I had that level of awareness. <laughs> so it's not about the comparative uh, sharing burning buildings, which a lot of people including Mike, 
um, have done. You're like, oh my God, that's not even bad. It's like, you know, and that was me very young into uh, the sober game was why am I comparing my burning building? You want to know why? Because I'm still operating in a, in a egoic operating system because I'm not really fully dealing with myself. But that's okay. I stayed because it's, it's perfection. It's not perfection. It's just about progress. And, uh, you know, people are like, oh, I'm a work in progress. I'm like, wow, you're better than me, man, because I'm working on progress. And that's about it. <laughs> so, so yeah, man. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, you know, again, buzzwords. It, it doesn't matter. It's about awareness. It's about being aware. Santa Claus isn't real. My world's going to turn upside down. My world is not broken because of this. It's not broken. I, Christmas is going to go on. But now I know Santa Claus isn't real. Okay. Not a big deal. So the same thing with a mental health diagnosis. Is the world's not over. Now, you know, like I said, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, if it bleeds, we can kill it. <laughs> I know the name of my problem. And a, the, the name has a diagnosis, which means it has a treatment path. That means it's no longer a death sentence. And to me, the living death is the worst death ever, worse than my suicide failure. I would say attempt, but it, it failed. I should be dead. It, it, the living death is so much worse because it's not about living life. It's about surviving life. It is terrifying. It is terrible and it never gets better. It just gets worse as I built layers of strata on top of the underlying issues plural. And I learned that the issues were nothing more than tumors that were joined together through different layers of strata because it's like, here's trauma here. And it's like layer strata, layer strata, layer bullshit. Next trauma, whoop, another more layers, more layers, because that's my, def that was my default operating system. Cover, cover, shame, guilt, supposed to, should, all those terrible words that I would tell me and would later learn that that's not my voice. It's somebody else's voice and it goes back a long, long way. So for me, one of the things that I lost on my strata was empathy and art along the way, self-motivation, uh, things like that. And, you know, back to this thing about putting coping mechanisms on top of that, right? I was you know, manically successful, right? And there's so many people that, you know, when <laughs> there's a couple people that, you know, when I went to rehab, they're like, oh yeah, man, you drank a lot. But a lot of people were like, we had no idea. And, you know, I think that's one of the misnomers that I want to kind of tackle as we go into this high functioning dysfunction is, you know, the misnomers of, what alcoholism looks like, what drug addiction looks like, what mental health looks like, you know, mental health when it looks like, we talked about the Joker the other day, right? You know, mental health doesn't really look like that, right? Mental health is the is the people that get in the elevator with you in your, in your uh, apartment building or the people that get in the elevator with you in your, um, in your office building or the people you're walking by on the street that look completely normal. And that have these completely normal external existences, but inside are, you know, one argument away or one stick away from crashing through all of their strata to completely implode. That's mental health, right? Um, it's not like you see in the movies. I mean, there are parts that are, right? But it's so normal, right, to struggle as a human being. <laughs> Mike, you'll get a crack out of this. Um Earlier this, this year, you know, I had a, a person that had a uh, drinking dream, right? I, I had a, a drinking dream and, and, you know, show up to group and they're just totally, uh, you know, this is horrible. I had a drinking dream, you know, I feel so bad. And I was like, okay, hold on, quick show of hands. Who's had a drinking dream? Everybody raises their hand. Well, Sunday night, I had a, a drinking dream and I woke up like, with that sick feeling in the pit of my stomach where I was just, I know it was a dream, right? But I felt like I relapsed overnight. And the funniest thing is I told that story in group and the same person was there and everybody was just cracking up, right? And the reason is 
there are so many people out there that are going through the same thing or something similar or have been through something similar, right? Um, that it's almost humorous once you actually say something. They're like, oh my God, yeah, that's me. Or yeah, I've had that or something else. So, you know, that whole thing about not reaching out because we're worried about it and the stigma on mental health and this idea that dysfunction has to look dysfunctional is something that uh, I think is really, really dangerous because dysfunction in a lot of ways is highly functional. Um, you know, because man mania is awesome, right? And a lot of artists, a lot of musicians have severe mental health issues, but that's where that whole art thing comes from. And then the rest of the life is a wreck, right? So some of these things are, are really interesting to talk about, but uh, kind of the main point that I'm trying to make here is the fact that all of us have some sort of dysfunction inside of us, right? Some of us have more than others, and some of us are better at hiding it than others. Uh, and so this concept of highly functional dysfunction uh, to me is really important because you know it breaks the concept of you... You know, if you're this, then you look like this. Or if you're this, then you act like this, right? Um, anyways, I, I digress, brother. Um, what I'd like to jump into, if, if you're cool with it, is use the T word, right? And the T word as it applies to a specific strata being trauma, right? What does trauma do to our rocks? What does trauma do to that strata, Right. And how does that relate into mental health and the layers that are above it, et cetera, and the layers of control we put. So before uh, before I start diving into the dark basement, that is me, um, <laughs> you know, I want to talk about really quick for everyone, um, just celebrity type ex uh, examples. So on the surface. You know, we see Robin Williams, who in my mind is probably one of the most brilliant, hilarious, kindest, outgoingest, jovial, giving person. And he was, you know, that was his his uh, his true nature, in my opinion. You know, when you see that 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 beautiful kindness that comes out of people and that that need to try and make things better for people. But now what I've learned is, you know, this man was in monstrously depressed and was battling it for such a long, long time, you know, and then, and, um, you know, and then finally succumbed to his, his, uh, injuries, his illness. So what did that look like on the surface? Did, was he a wreck? Was he locked in his house eating ice cream? You know, no, like he was out, he was funny. He was all these things. And man, do I identify with that truly? You know, I, I truly identified with that. That was me. Um, I would make light of everything. You know, uh, in, in the uh, in the military, we use dark humor. And do you know why we do that? Because sometimes when we're dealing with these really horrible situations, we got to make light of it to kind of control the emotion. And um, my a lot of my underlying issues that, that I was faced with that, eventually became faced with that I wasn't facing was a multitude of different traumas that had occurred, uh, not just in my military career, but prior to, um, sexual trauma when I was a child really plagued me, uh, throughout my life. And, um, it, it shook my sense of self, my self-worth and a lot of other things. And how did that manifest into adulthood? Um, I, I've always been very, uh, let's just say, different about um, about sex. And I would have to get drunk in order to have sex. Because otherwise, I just, it, I always felt dirty. I can't explain it. Um, I, at the time, I wouldn't be able to explain it. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand that at all until um, I'm sitting in rehab and this uh, young lady sharing her story. And that's when I started chiseling through the layers, not me um, working with the mental health care providers to chisel through the layers and the groups to get down to the origin of that. And 
and wow, man. Um, and it's still, you know, it's still there. And I would later talk about that, that trauma is not in me. It's on me. That was something I learned while working with my mental health care provider recently, that it's not in me. It's on me. It's like a, a sticky, wet cloak that I'm peeling off little by little by little. So that, you know, I can actually not have a farmer's tan or whatever. <laughs> but <clears throat> but that that's like kind of one of the traumas I dealt with. Or I'm sorry, let me rephrase. That I never dealt with mm. until I was smashed in the face with, I'm sitting in rehab and still defiant. Like, I don't have a problem. These guys have problems. I don't have problems. I'm a special operator. I'm entitled to destroy myself and all this other. They don't know. They don't know. Blah, 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 blah. Comparing burning buildings. Defense, defense, ego, 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 and then cracked. And and it was because of somebody, she was the bravest human I ever met, 19 years old, my polar opposite, militarily speaking, showed me how to be an adult in that moment. And uh, I love you to death, Trace. But but that's that's what it took. And even all these people telling me that I'm a mess, I still wasn't, it wasn't resonating with me until somebody shared with me my own story or a version of my own story or just gave me an example of how powerful vulnerability is. And she broke me. She broke me in that moment. And, and after that, that's when, you know, I'm, I'm getting to the strata layers. And it's crazy to see how, how just that trauma, you know, from my childhood had affected me throughout my life, my operating system. Um, it, it, it's really something else. It's sobering. One of the, I had a lot of different things happen in childhood and then early adulthood as far as trauma. Um, one of the results that happened to me was, you know, I said the lack of the loss of empathy right? The loss of empathy and art and stuff. I mean, I used art for a long time to, to try to do some, you know, to express trauma and what I felt, but eventually it just became, uh, too much, right? So you open yourself to the world and it, and it, it hurts you. And, uh, so you shut yourself off from the world. So it doesn't hurt you anymore. And that's something that, uh, that I'm learning to undo, uh, frankly, because I was, you know, at the very beginning, I was a very nice, uh, empathetic, uh, person. Like I legitimately cared about people. I legitimately, you know, wanted them to succeed. And there's a lot of ways that I legitimately still wanted people to succeed when I was going, you know, while I was in the service. But one of the things that became more, um, it's not logical based, right? But it's right brain, left brain, that thing. Um, you know, I, what is that? I became more left brained, right? Which is my coping mechanism was to become more, um, now it's more project focused, right? Rather, you know, back then it was mission focused type of thing, but it becomes something that I can see and do that's mechanical in nature that I can accomplish and that makes me feel good. And the reason why it makes me feel good and I can accomplish it is because I don't have to empathize at all, right? Because it's something that I did under my control that makes me feel good. A lot of times I do it for other people and it makes them feel good. Um, but that's one of the things that I'm working through is the relation of trauma to what I consider for myself as selective empathy. Right. What did you see when you were a kid? It's um, <laughs> a great question, Mike. So I grew up as a missionary kid in East Africa. So from 1981 until um, about 1989, uh, back and forth uh, between Uganda and Kenya, and then came back to the States. I went to high school in Alaska and then went back out in 93. And so when I was 18 years old in 1994, I went and worked in the refugee camps uh, after the Rwanda massacre um, when all the refugees had left Rwanda and Burundi and, and migrated into what used to be Zaire, uh, now it's Democratic Republic of Congo. But when we dropped in, um, you know, 20,000 people a day were dying of cholera, 
right? And they would just lay them out alongside the road and you just had dump trucks that would come down, pick them up, throw them in there, and then go drop them in these mass graves, cover it with lime and just bury them, you know, who knows, you know, and, and that's on top of the half a million or a million people that got massacred, you know, UNHCR has all these numbers. Um, but that destroyed my worldview. Right? And that took years of me working through, you know, and then on top of that, put put uh, mood disorder and bipolar on top of that, where it's like, hey, I can save the world. And then you go down into your trough, which is depression and suicide and things like that, that just last. Um, and you go through that enough times to where then you're like, no, I'm not doing it anymore. So I'm going to lock that up. I'm going to set that aside. I'm going to focus on what's in front of me and go be, quote, productive, right? I'm going to become a productive member of society. But eventually, talking about strata and pressure, eventually that fluid that was under high pressure on that really, really deep rock that I have just kept breaking through all the rest of them, right? And it's still there. But what I can do now is I can talk about it. Um, you know, I can, I can see a lot of ways that it affected my personality. And because now that I'm aware of how it affects my personality, I'm working on how to change that. I still have an empathy on off switch, right? That's part of that is it's just ingrained. I mean, I deeply do care about people. Um, but I can turn that off in a second. Um, I don't think that's anything that's going to go away. But um, it's something that I recognize now and that I'm working on. You know what I mean? I totally understand. You know, um, my uh, uh, the dehumaning of Mike, like me, I'm I'm a big time hugger. I've always been a hugger my whole life. Uh, I love don't pe- touch me. I love people. You don't know, don't touch me, man. <laughs> um, war really was able to give me selective empathy. Um, but not really, you know, I, I said this at, uh, a PTS processing group, you know, I never really hated the enemy. I never hated them. I just kind of recognized it as the function of war, you know, um, and like, you know, you're here to kill me. I'm here to kill you by all accounts. I probably have a beer with you, you know, <laughs> talk about it. Um, but it, it wasn't personal in a lot of respects. The only time it was personal to me was um, when children were violated, uh, massacred, innocent innocent uh, people were killed. And it really hurt to see that. It hurt to sift through body parts of Americans. And finally, I went numb because it was the only way I can protect myself from breaking down and crying. Um, and you know, you know, it's, it's, uh, I gotta be strong. I gotta be strong. I hear, I hear that bullshit over and over and over again. Gotta be strong. Gotta be strong. Well, what is strength? What is that? You know, I, I would believe for a long time that, you know, I, I gotta put on an angry face and, and hide the fact that I am a deeply sensitive person, like it's a negative. And it's not. It's always been my greatest asset. It just was so hard to see that as a strength because of, yes, the company I keep and the organizations I belong to, absolutely. But I'm not going to disparage the company I kept or the organizations I belong to. I had to believe it. So it is my fault. It is my fault. My dysfunction, my high-functioning dysfunction was my fault, okay? But it was also in recovery where I learned to look at myself away from the splitting mechanism of all good or all bad into is, the gray, the human condition, gray, very, very gray. And to see myself as nothing more than a child that has been wounded My psyche was a child that had been wounded through trauma and it needed to heal and it needed more than anything to know that it was going to be okay, that it's okay to not be okay. 
but it's not okay to pretend you're okay when you're not okay. And, and that's, that's the pathology of it is pretending to be okay when we're not okay. And, and that's where a lot of this crap comes from. The binge drinking. When, when did drinking become a necessity for me? Honestly, uh, war. <laughs> and when the, the ramp dropped on the plane, when we got back to San Diego, this is long before the mandatory um, reintegration stop in, in Germany or wherever you go to kind of get back to normal, which I'm really happy we started doing. Problem is, it's a little too late in the game for this guy. Um, I needed to be at a bar immediately. And as I reflect back on that high-functioning dysfunction, it became apparent to me that I was terrified of crowded places when I was standing in the uh, DFAC, which is the dining facility there in Iraq. And we look different than everyone else. You know, we got sterile camis, uh, which means we have no name tapes or anything. They're modified. So, you know, we look cool, got facial hair. So everyone's staring at us. And I'm noticing that my heart rate is going through the roof when everyone's looking at me. So I would look at the ground or I'd put on an angry face or get aggressive and be like, Hey, what are you looking at? You know? And it's just some army kid. He's like, wow, you guys spec ops, you know, like the same I would have done, you know, like, Hey man, how's it going? You know, but no, I didn't realize what was going on with me. So it's like, I'm scared right now, but fear is going to wear the anger mask or the stoic mask and it's going to hide in plain sight. I know that was a lot. I just, uh, man, I love going back into it and really observe being there as an observer now, not as the participant, but as the observer, it, that's another beauty of, of constant work on this stuff is to go back and see it as an observer, not a participant. I think that's one of the, um, I think that's kind of one of the tenets that I try to do. And one of the reasons why I'm, I'm a nerd, right? Uh, I love the brain. I love how you break down a lot of that stuff. Um, you know, I love the science behind it. I love the stats behind it. And to me, if I understand, it's like being the outside observer, right? If I study that and I understand what trauma has done to me, if I understand what these other things have done to me, it allows me to kind of decouple the responses from the, the reality, right? So these things happen to me, but now I can look at it as, I hate to use the word scientific, but almost like in a scientific fashion where I'm analyzing the strata from the side, right? So instead of standing on top of the bridge, now I've got an idea. Okay, here's the layers. That's really interesting. That's going to cause this to do this and this to do this. And it kind of decouples, for me, decouples some of the emotion from it right? Where I'm not buried in it, but it is something that I can, I can work through because I, I understand it now. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I try to help with other people on is just to explain in different and interesting ways what these things are, because once it's kind of like, um, my favorite tool that we use is acceptance. And it's a very Buddhist thing is like, you are who you are. And as soon as you kind of accept that, the power of that to control you is no longer there, right? Because you've now acknowledged what it is. And that simple act alone, uh, for me, allows me to start working on it from more a more objective uh, fashion. Um, so I'm going to pull this back around to the strata and then I'll kick it back over to you real quick. But it's, you know, fracking again. So just like when a rock breaks from fracking, right, that deep core rock, whether it's from trauma that was already there, whether it's from pressure that's coming from above, regardless, right, that rock breaks, it shatters, the rocks on top of it start to come down. You know, you can't go back in time and, you know, go to, you know, Bridges National Park or what Arches National Park, sorry, and go put an arch back up if it's crashed, right? It's just not going to happen. Um, but like when our rocks crack and when, our, you know, our strata starts to crack, um, we can shore it up. We can repair it, right? You don't make it whole because it's been broken, but you can fill in the gaps. You can start piecing that stuff back together. 
Um, and you get it to a point that you can add more resilient strata over the top of it layer by layer, right? Because you, you're replacing, in a lot of ways, those broken coping mechanisms, putting them back together, adding stronger coping mechanisms over the top. Uh, and that way you learn new methods to either divert the pressure that's coming down or you get channels to let the stressors just flow over you, right? So instead of letting it drive down to your core and blowing all your strata up, um, you're letting it flow in different directions, right? Because now you understand what that is. You understand what the stressors are and you understand what your rocks are. I know that's kind of a geeky way to say it, but. But that's, that's your version and it's, it's not wrong. You know, it, it makes sense. It's logical. I want to touch on something really fast. You said we are who we are. And I've heard that a number of times. I've said it a number of times. Well, I am who I am. Well, I'm going to go ahead and expound on that. We are who we are. When we know who we are because of why we are. And that that's where we get into the acceptance piece. Without the awareness... Say that again, please. We are who we are when we know who we are because of why we are. And, and, and that's a Mike-ism. You know, I just, I sometimes, and I'm not knocking you, John. Trust me, I'm not. <laughs> I'm saying that sometimes we, that football will get carried a little bit further than it was supposed to get carried into, well, I'm now going to make excuses for my dysfunctions. I'm going to make excuses for it. And I did that. I did that a bit. Um, well, it's just who I am. No, it's not. I am who I choose to be, which means I'm not what I did. I'm not what I'm going to do. I am what I do, what I say. But more importantly, is I'm also the person who is going to pay for the things I do and the things I say one way or another. And my choice in that matter is that if I'm wrong, truly, then I have to acknowledge that I am wrong and more importantly, why I'm wrong. That, that is a real critical piece. And it, it doesn't matter what other people do with me telling the truth in that moment. What matters is who I am in that moment. I did not know any of these things until like mental health found its way into my life, until sobriety found its way into my life. And, and that's where we're going to get to a real interesting piece. I am so grateful for the dysfunction and for how it all turned out so that I could be here right now. Like had that not happened, I would not be here right now. I would not have the life that I have right now because my high functioning dysfunction was my primary mission was I wanted to get killed in combat so that my stupid existence could mean something. That, that's the truth. No, I didn't take any unnecessary risks. Well, yeah, maybe uh, E5 me did. But that was just being stupid uh, kid. <laughs> you know, all balls, no brains. But no, it was just that became the, the, the serious mission is that I needed to die in combat so that my life can mean something. Because it, what I would deal with is how come he died and I didn't? That's a good person. That's a good this. That, you know, they're this, they're that. You know, but I don't know what it's like to be them. I have no idea. And and more importantly, why am I disparaging myself? Because I didn't know how to actually like me and to love me. You know, and then that's a, that's a real slippery slope too. Because a lot of people are like, oh, you're a narcissist. Like, eh, you should probably look that up. You know, I, God knows I had to. Um, but no, self-love and self-respect are not, they're not egoic. It's like, can I love myself when other people don't love me? Can I love myself when I make a mistake? Can I love myself when I, you know, put on 40 pounds? Or can I love myself when I'm falling apart? And, and, and I'd like to tell you, like, yeah, I could do that every day. <laughs> I'm cured. I'm not. You know, I still struggle with it. You know, but I'm grateful to know when I don't. So we're going to keep going on this this theme over the next few uh, podcasts about high functioning dysfunction, right? And it's something, you know, 
something Mike brought up and then the uh, the brilliant part of, of the fracking thing. And I think Mike has some other brilliant things he's going to bring up along the way. Um, but I forgot them. <laughs> but you forgot them already. Great. Um, now, so here here's the thing, folks. The... You know, as things happen to us and as these layers break, right, and just finished talking about the fact that you can't put them, you know, you can't make them whole, but you can repair them and shore them up, right? And we can be repaired to where we are actually stronger than what we were before. Um, We can learn new ways of dealing with pressures so that the pressure doesn't frack us. We just have to ask for help. Because there's professionals out there that know how to take care of this. The mental health professionals, right? And just keep in mind that you are not alone. You're not the only person in the world that's been through this. You're not going to be the last person that's been through this. Uh, And this is what Unonymous is about. So, be well.